Hello and welcome back. This is Brian. And this is John. And this is episode three. You're listening to The Big Balance, the podcast for anybody looking for clear, simple advice they can actually apply. Give us a little of your time each week and we'll help you figure out work, life, and everything in between. So I had, I guess, a pretty big meeting today with one of the newer head honchos that got hired onto the management team. Mm, Exciting. Yeah, always exciting. Nerve-wracking at the same time. This guy doesn't know me from a ham sandwich and vice versa, so feeling each other out. Sure. So all in all, how would you say it went? I think it went pretty well. The meeting had a few things going for it. One, it was pretty short. And two, the agenda wasn't overly in-depth. It was really just introducing this new manager to a program I run. So pretty quick, pretty short, and pretty to the point. And it got me thinking, that's kind of a great recipe for a meeting. But there's a lot of other meetings that all of us take part in that don't necessarily go that smooth, don't necessarily you know, achieve maybe anything at all. So I wanted to talk today a little bit about those kind of meetings and what we can do to really get them out of our lives and get them out of our hair a little bit. If you're like me, you spend a little time early Monday morning planning out your strategy for the week. You know what needs to get done, and you start rationing out the next 40-plus hours it'll take to get you there. Only, you didn't factor in all those meetings on your calendar. On average, employees in the U.S. are in 60 meetings a month, 11 million meetings held every day. And that number's only growing. And sure, some of these meetings are valuable, but for every one of those on our calendar, odds are good we have four more that just waste time. Why are we in so many meetings? What are we getting done? And how do we fight against this trend, pushing back against useless meetings and structuring our day around the ones that actually count? John, I think a good place to start is you and me talking about how much we need the, uh, the content of this episode in our lives. Our office, like I think many offices out there, is a Microsoft shop. Think Outlook, SharePoint, Teams, these are all applications people are probably familiar with and probably use in their own lives. And we use another tool as well, one called My Analytics. For anybody who doesn't know what that is, My Analytics analyzes information from all of those many MS products that we just talked about and reports back to you with some metrics and analytics about what your day is like and what you have been doing to try to help track where you will be moving from there. And if that sounds a little bit creepy, you're not really alone. Plenty of people get these kind of intrusive Big Brother vibes from the whole thing. Yeah, Brian, I have to agree. I, I, I'm probably one of those people who kind of get similar Big Brother vibes. When I see my collaboration numbers, sometimes it's a little freaky, I guess, would be the way I would put it. You know, honestly, it's not even just that. Have you gotten any emails from my analytics after it dug through some old chats from you from like a month ago saying, hey, I I know you mentioned doing this one thing with this one guy. Did Did you do that yet? And by this time, I forgot I even had that conversation. It's really weird. It's it's creepy. I got my first one this week and I was like almost to the point where it was, is my laptop listening? Is my 
<laughs> is my yeah get out of my brain computer come on <laughs> is my amazon alexa listening to me as well who knows nevertheless there is some i would say pretty interesting information that myelinix does provide especially on the topic of meetings and maybe some of the meetings that we don't need to attend so john let's dig into some of our numbers and see where we stack up and the report I'm going to pull up specifically is called the Collaboration Month in Review. This is essentially talking about all the ways that I'm not necessarily working or being productive on my own, but collaborating with others. Now, sometimes that collaboration is work-focused, but I think, like a lot of people, a lot of that collaboration time is really just spent in meetings where we talk about work rather than actually getting work done. So where do I stack up? It looks like I have a 42% collaboration score. In other words, 42% of my time over this span is spent meeting or emailing or chatting or calling about work. And that already feels like a lot to me, right? Before I even break out what that number means, 42%, that's almost half my time spent talking rather than getting things done. But anyway, the lower numbers are about 5% of my time is spent uh, sending and answering emails, and 10% is on chats and calls. But the bigger part, 27%, so over a quarter of my time, is spent in meetings every week. Okay. I'm not. I'm actually not very different. I'm around 36%, 9% emails, 7% chats and calls, and 24% meetings. Now, what kind of patterns are you seeing in terms of time of day for this communication? I'm seeing some trends on my side. I just want to see if uh, if yours match up. Oh, actually, I didn't even consider that. Let me give me one second here, and I will actually pull up some more detail here. So it looks like I am typically around the 10 to 2 p.m. So 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. region is my bulk of meetings. Where are yours? According to my analytics, I am quite the morning person. It looks like 8 to noon, I'm at about 350 a month. And that's, I think, across emails, read, chats, or calls, or meetings, about 350 a month. It starts to go down a little bit from 12 to 4, about 240 a month, and it really tapers off from there. So how many meetings have you have you organized in the last four weeks? Uh, honestly, too, too many uh, at this <laughs> point. You know, Some of those are going to be client calls, but a lot more, and I think this is very much recently, a lot more are going to be internal. Honestly, I think when we're talking about meeting fatigue it's those internal meetings where that tends to be the case at least for me client calls can sometimes be really just status update type meetings but more often than not i i think they're usually actionable and things getting done and again not always the case with internal meetings yeah this is this is actually a pretty pretty fun to look at of the number of emails and calls that i've sent and all of the chats wow this is just to see it broken down this way, it's really interesting to see where the bulk of this is happening. I mean, obviously, I taper off towards the tail end of the day, but there's a, something I even see where there's still some time, even after 6 into the 8 o'clock region, where there's still some things being done. That's actually a good lead into another section of this report, meeting habits. Essentially, beyond just the number of meetings we're in, what about these meetings might be causing some stress in our lives? So this section of the report is looking at, I guess, the last 65 meetings that I either organized or attended. Uh, and that's, I, I think, an important note. Some of these are, are issues I'm dealing with. Some of these are probably issues that I myself have caused others. John, maybe even you. Uh, but let's take a look at what we got here. 
So first, invitations sent with at least a day's notice. I don't know about you. Uh, I like to have as much notice as possible before a meeting, especially if it's an important meeting. For me, the number is 44%. So not great. Uh, over half of my meetings are scheduled on short notice. Not, uh, not a fun situation to be in. 33%, and I'm kind of embarrassed. So I don't want to say that it's just because of the projects we've been working on, but I have to imagine a lot of this is me sending to you in certain instances. Oh, uh, hey, man, that's on uh, that's on me. And like I said at the beginning, this is uh, a lesson that you and me need to learn as well. So we're going to hopefully get as much value out of this episode as anybody else listening. Next is the no emails or chats during meetings metric. So are we focused during these meetings or are we zoning out doing something else? Pretty good number for me here, I think. I'm at about 92%. At least I think that's good, right? I'm I'm only trying to multitask in maybe one out of 10 meetings. I don't know. It feels like a good number to me. And the next one sounds like it's a good number as well, but I'm I'm thinking it might actually be a bit of a red flag. So no overlap with other meetings, 94%. Seems like a high number, but really any amount of double booking is uh, is a bad amount of double booking. So even 5% of my meetings having uh, overlapping with each other, it's, it's not a great thing. And I think that's going to contribute to the next metric, which is meetings joined on time, 98%. So more often than not, I'm, I'm joining a meeting on time, but those 2%, I do kind of wonder, is it because I'm double booked? Is it because I have meetings running right up against each other that uh, that I'm late? Sure. So to kind of run down the same uh, list of stats, 85% as far as no emails or chats during meetings, not particularly proud of that. No overlap during other meetings, uh, 93%. So very close to you. Um, And as far as online meetings joined on time, 98%. So uh, happy, happy about that. And the last metric I want to look at is where I'm kind of seeing I have a problem developing on my hands here is the change over time. Historically, I'm at about 11 and a half hours a month in meetings, and seems like recently that's jumped up to 14 hours in any given month directly uh, related to meetings. Now, 11.5 to 14, that's a pretty big jump, but honestly, fours for the trees, 14 hours a month regardless, that's a lot of hours to spend just sitting in meetings. Sure. Uh, so, Eight and a half to eleven and a half for me. So it has gone up as well. Yeah. Now we could spend all day kind of looking at these metrics and trying to figure out small gains to improve our efficiency in these meetings throughout the day. But looking at this bigger picture, we're here to talk about having a good work-life balance. When we think about all the weeks where we're putting in 50 or 60 or more hours a week, Think about the number of hours we spend in these meetings that don't move our projects towards the goal line. If we could remove them, then we could get a lot of time back and maybe restore some of that work-life balance. Because I'm seeing a really bad trend develop. It didn't necessarily start during this work-from-home period, but it definitely got worse during it. We're starting to look at our off-hours time as quiet time where nobody bothers me so I can finally get work done. And that's horrible for balance, right? We're just creating a workday 2.0, kind of relegating the workday to meeting time and the nights that we should be spending with friends or family or pursuing our own passions. No, we're saying nuts to that. We're focusing on getting things done that we couldn't fit around all these meetings on our calendar. 
So to have a better balance, we need to think about what in our workday prevents us from shutting down after five. And I think for most of us, it's going to be these unnecessary meetings that are the lowest hanging fruit. So let's take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about what we can do to clear out our calendars a little bit. So we've made a commitment to tamp down on a lot of these meetings. In other words, we are drawing a line in the sand and saying enough talking about getting work done. Let's actually spend our time getting the work done. Now, how do we do it? First strategy, let's be blunt and call a spade a spade. Some of these meetings just don't need to happen. What I'm really talking about here are all of those tactical update meetings that are essentially a waste of time. Now, why is this? For me, it's because there's no discourse here, right? There's there's not a lot of conversation happening. Hey, just send an email. Digest what the agenda points are. If the recipient does have any questions about that digest, then yeah, it's appropriate to have a follow-up call. But as long as you can effectively communicate through email, you won't need these follow-ups probably 80% of the time. So simple enough advice, but I think powerful as well. If I had to guess, most of the problem meetings on my calendar would probably be solved by converting them to email exchanges rather than actually meeting. But uh, John, how about you? How many meetings did I just hypothetically cut out of your work week? There's at least three on my, my calendar every single week that could be boiled down to one email that would take me less than five minutes to send. And that is what I think is the most troubling of the number numbers that I look at, because if I can send it in an email that would take me less than five minutes to send and you less than five minutes to read, why are we wasting anywhere from a half hour to 45 minutes, even an hour in some extreme cases on both of our calendars? So how many of those meet? I don't even know if I want the answer to this. How many of those meetings are uh, from me reaching out just to, to get a status update on some of the projects we're working on together? So you are not one of the big offenders. Um, well, that's I, good. I, <laughs> I don't want to say it's they're not internal meetings, and, and I'm not going to point out any specific teams, but there are th- these three meetings that I'm referencing are internal meetings. And in some instances, they are warranted. We do need to have these updates to where I think it's worth it to talk through it. But the difference between you and I hopping on a quick phone call to talk through it, because we both have a little bit of spare time. And instead of me taking the time out to write and digest an email, you asked for that quick call. I think that's a completely different conversation than then to have a standing 30 minute to one hour meeting on the calendars, because for whatever reason, we feel the need to fill in that time. And we end up taking the majority of that time. Yeah, and I know a lot of this is going to be rooted in the fact that we're not in the office right now. We're all working from home. And days gone by, if I had a quick question I wanted to ask, I could walk down to your desk or anybody else's desk for a quick chat and get the information I need and be done with it. 
now with everybody distributed, it's, well, if we want to meet, we have to put something on the calendar. And if we put something on the calendar, it's probably going to be a half hour to an hour to your point. And if we're scheduling that time, you know, we're going to feel compelled to use that time. And it, it just kind of snowballs. But I don't know. I guess there were a lot of meetings when we were in the office, too. It's not just happening at home. So probably not the entire fix either. Sure. And I don't know if I'm playing devil's advocate here, but I am a very social individual and I like to chat with my coworkers. And sometimes those little pop-ins that we talk about, they end up running into 30 minutes. But at the same time, I do feel slightly more enriched, satisfied with my work experience than if I don't have those conversations with my coworkers. Yeah, I think even people who like working from home are are missing the social interaction a little bit. And Maybe part of this is figuring out how do we introduce that social element without the uh, the need for all these sprawling calendar invites, but uh, I don't have the answer there either. But moving along, I think the clear message here is there's at least a number of meetings on our calendars that are really just tactical and we can probably cut them out of our lives. Any other meetings I hope would be important, so... Of those meetings that remain, let's try to shift the agenda a little bit to see what we can do to shorten them as much as possible. In other words, let's talk about the structure and the overarching goal of these meetings. A lot of the time, these meetings are spent going over what happened in the past. But why? If we're trying to be productive, then we should be focusing on what happens next. So I like to keep meetings focused really on three core things. One, what I'm immediately going to do. Not long-term, not spending a whole project, really just the very next concrete steps that I'm going to need to take. Two, I want to talk about my blockers. So what's standing in the way of me getting those very few, very discreet things done? It could be an external force that's stopping me, or it could be internal. Maybe I have a, a skills gap. And three, how can the people in this meeting with me help me clear these blockers out? And I find that this keeps meetings really focused on the future and gets everybody working collaboratively to to solve a problem, not just talk about what happened in the past. Now, John and I both had a client somewhere recently, and without saying any names, I'll just say it was an organization in the finance industry. John, do you know who I'm talking about? Yes, absolutely. Now, were you ever in our daily meetings with this client? So towards the tail end, yes, I was involved in those meetings. They were the perfect example of this concept. The meeting owner was adamant that the meetings stay very on topic to the point where if you veered away from those key topics, he let you know, now is not the time for sidebars, schedule a one-on-one for later, let's keep moving. And as a result, these meetings ran like clockwork. We got in, we got informed, and we got out. And honestly, even within that client, if that particular individual wasn't leading the meeting, we ran into some issues as far as usefulness and effectiveness of meetings. Yeah, I think part of the problem is, you know, for these formal meetings, we almost always have an agenda. But a lot of times at more informal meetings, they're more off the cuff. And, you know, it's easy to go off the rails if you don't have any guiding force keeping you on the rails to begin with. 
I don't know if this is leading or anything, but you mentioned the concept of going off the rails, and sometimes a rail is exactly what you need. Yeah, there you go. Rail. Just to uh, define a term for anybody not up on their business speak, uh, rolling action item list. And yeah, I think this ties back to what we just talked about with shifting our agenda. Rails are all about small, intermediate steps, and that's what we want to focus on for these meetings, not an entire project, but really focus on the the individual pieces that are really manageable. What needs to happen? Who does what? And how do we help each other get it done? And I think that's something that you and I have found productive. And when you and I work together, I think we have found that we're most effective when we're focusing on not only tactical, but big picture. And the rail is a good way to kind of marry those two concepts together, in my opinion. Yeah, they're good at bridging the gap between the tactical discrete steps and higher level vision. If you don't have a rail, it can be really easy to focus on one or the other. And if you're only looking at the tactical, you don't really have a true sense of where you're going. But on the other hand, if you're just looking at strategy, it means you're probably going to miss a lot of the things along the way that you need to get done to realize that vision. So if we play our cards right with strategies one and two, hopefully by this time, we found some meetings that we can cut out of our schedule for you know, flat out not being valuable. And for the ones that remain, hopefully we've made them a little bit shorter by reorganizing what the agenda should be. And I think both combined is going to really help us address what I'm seeing as a growing issue. We are increasingly in back-to-back meetings, sometimes all day. And if the first one goes a couple minutes over, that means you're late to the next one and the next one. And if it wasn't enough that we're in all these meetings that we don't want to be in and aren't getting any value from, now we're also spending additional time and maybe upwards of five, maybe 10 minutes waiting for everybody to actually join in so we can get started. So how do we break this cycle? What I like to do is intentionally start meetings late. If you're planning on having a 30-minute meeting, cut it down to 25 and leave the first five minutes open. Likewise, if you're planning on a full hour, give people the first 10 minutes back at the beginning to get things in order. And I like to do this because it really forces us to break this chain of these back-to-back meetings making us late over and over, and it gives everybody a little bit of breathing room to collect themselves. And it's not a lot, but it's usually enough to make sure everybody can be where they need to be at the right time. One thing that I have noticed, to your point as far as if you're late to one meeting or you're trying to make up time in another, in any event, one meeting is going to suffer because somewhere along the line, if you're in back-to-back meetings, you're going to try to make up that time somewhere at somebody else's expense. A lot of what you're talking about right now is coming from the perspective of somebody who's scheduling these meetings, but what about somebody who is a participant in these meetings? How can I evoke some of these changes that you're talking about? I'd say in the most general sense, this is something that we definitely want to talk to our managers about. And I recognize that can be easier said than done sometimes, especially if that manager is the one putting these meetings on our calendars. That said, I think we can craft a pretty good business case around getting these changes made. And I'm a fan of blunt talk, so I'm going to make the first point pretty bluntly. Let's talk about the time aspect. Add up all the time that you spend in these meetings in a week and ask, hey, if you had me for this many more hours a week, what do you think I could get accomplished for you, right? Consider an hour-long 10-person meeting that takes place once a week. 
really, it looks like it's just an hour. It's not that much, but in reality, that's an hour for each of 10 people. So 10 hours of our collective time over the course of a month, that's the equivalent of a 40 hour work week just in one meeting. Right. I, I think that's going to resonate with any people manager if they can get that much time back. Isn't that at least worth exploring? I know this is something that you and I have talked about. And when you kind of crunch some of those numbers, it's a little disconcerting to see how much time that collective groups can spend in one particular meeting that's a recurring meeting on a calendar. Yeah. And that 10 hour meeting example is not even entirely hypothetical. I have a meeting every Monday and honestly, it's more than 10 people really. And that's a lot of collective time. Even if we get a lot accomplished and we do, it's a lot of time for upwards of 10 or more people to spend in a meeting. Now, managing hours is always going to be part of a manager's job, but the bigger core part of their job is really going to be problem solving using those resources, right? So let's focus on those outcomes. Again, put a bit bluntly, ask your boss to think about the last big key challenge that your team solved, okay? Where did that solution come from? Was it from one of these really static, uh, administratively focused, scheduled meetings? I'm going to go on a limb and say probably not. Maybe, what, one in 10 times that happens? But for every other time, it's probably going to come from some ad hoc discussions. So if these scheduled meetings aren't really even helping us problem solve, what are they doing? If we're going to use our meetings as an example... I, I maybe one out of 10, you're being generous. <laughs> I, I'm looking at one particular project as, or not necessarily a project, one particular initiative as an example. And I can't tell you how many times we ideated on one particular thought. And it wasn't even those meetings that got us to really where we needed to be. I felt like it was one person taking initiative and kind of putting something out there that we could all agree on. That's an interesting point. And now we're talking really about a specific type of meeting when I think a lot of organizations either get wrong or could at least improve upon, which are brainstorming sessions. And I'll be honest, there's a lot of art and skill in executing a brainstorming session the right way. I think a lot of organizations just don't have that skill set. And if you don't plan out brainstorming sessions really well and have a, a really solid plan going in, you're not going to get the results that you think you're going to. But that being said, I am a really big fan of a, a good working open session. Anytime you can take a bunch of people who might approach a problem differently and apply their own thought process to it, you're going to get good solutions. You're going to get varied solutions. And more often than not, uh, the solution you end up with is probably a better fit than what any individual team member could come up with by themselves. No, I agree. And, and one thing I was going to say is that I feel like a lot of this discussion that we've been having has been focusing on a very agile approach, something that's kind of built on being, uh, you know, like you said, eliminating those blockers. And the the session that you're describing and, and the one that I can use as an example that we as a team have done is kind of counterintuitive to that thought because it's something that doesn't really have a set agenda. We're not necessarily eliminating blockers per se, but we're ideating as a group. And I value those sessions, and I think sometimes as a group, as a team, we get a lot more out of those than we would if we were super hyper-focused on 
blockers and things that we need to do the next tactical step. There's definitely a time and a place for both type of meeting. Sometimes you have a well-blazed trail of a project. You know where it needs to go. The only issue might be those definable blockers that, yeah, that first type of meeting is more appropriate for. But if that path forward isn't clear and your team has to blaze that trail, then a more open brainstorming session where we're all throwing out ideas together might work a bit better. Do you think we've run into any issues in a remote environment that we might not run into were we there in person? Yeah. And look, I'll preface by saying I'm a big fan of the remote work setup. I think many people can be just as, if not more productive, working remote as they can in an office. That being said, there are going to be some issues that are more prevalent in a work-from-home environment. Let's talk about what it means to read a room, right? If I'm in a meeting face-to-face live with other people, I can read body language or other cues to know if somebody is about to speak and if I should lay back and just listen. And conversations are going to move a bit more fluidly, a bit more naturally. It's really hard to do that over Zoom or team sessions or, or any kind of remote meeting, especially if we're microphone only and there's no cameras. Maybe cameras can help a little bit uh, or features like I know Teams has the hand raise and we can all go back to, uh, to kindergarten rules where we raise our hands before we speak. But it's really hard to have just a very fluid, natural, flowing conversation if it's really hard to know who's trying to speak next, when should I talk, when should I shut up, right? Especially if it's going to be a larger meeting. A remote call with two or three people might be a bit easier. Remote call with 10 people, more often than not, my main concern is are people staying silent that would otherwise be speaking because they don't know if it's their turn to speak. And that can be really damaging, especially when we're talking about these uh, ideation sessions, these brainstorming sessions. I also think turn your cameras on a little bit because facial cues and body language, despite the fact that it's not full body, you can see those particular cues that you might not see if everyone has just their little picture up as opposed to actually seeing our camera. I tend to do the finger motion to where I put my finger up as if I'm raising my hand, but not really raising my hand, just kind of oh, hold that thought, I have a thought that kind of complements that. I think even just a simple act as turning on your camera can be effective for brainstorming sessions. Isn't that the craziest thing? We all got out of an environment where, by default, we're meeting face-to-face on a regular, on a daily basis. And now that we're all working from home, so many people are just terrified of the idea of turning on their camera during one of these calls. It's, It's crazy to me. And actually, one of our data scientists made that a rule where if his team meets on a conference, their cameras are on so they can see each other during these calls. So that's going to do it for this week and episode three. Hopefully, we've given everybody some good ideas for rethinking the meetings that they're in. If not, hey, maybe the next time you're in one of those three-hour sessions bored out of your mind, you'll think of us. It's funny to think folks are going to be thinking about us in their next meeting, Brian. Hey, I hope they do. You got to think we're at least as interesting as what's going on in other Thanks for listening to the Big Balance Podcast. 
Don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and drop us a comment while you're there. Until next time.